Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we are so thrilled, overjoyed to be welcomed by my sister and (laughs) Melissa's best friend. It's true. Jay Johnson. (laughs) Yay! I'm thrilled to be here. So, Jay, we often ask people, well, we always ask people what their um, team is. But, you know, in our case, we have identical teams (laughs) of the family we grew up with. People already know that. But so tell us about your family now. Well, um, I have my husband, Lucas, and our two kids, a three-year-old and a five-year-old who are amazing and I love them. Yay. We also usually ask guests what their history with the show Parenthood is, but you're a little bit of a unique case because you're our first guest who, as far as I know, has never watched the show before, and you only watched this episode that we're discussing. That is mostly true. Um, I have randomly, I think, seen at least pieces of episodes if I've perhaps been visiting you or at Mom's. So I know the actors look familiar, but yes. I've never really sat down and actually watched a show. What a unique perspective. Yeah, we're really excited. And we don't want you to we don't want you to hold back, you know, if you were like, I thought this show was so stupid. Say it. Say your truth. Yes. Yeah, spe- I yeah. didn't. Oh, oh good. good. Spoiler <laughs> but, alert. Yeah. She didn't. <laughs> oh. Oh, we we always ask people too where they're joining us from because, you know, through the power of Zoom, we can meet from anywhere. I'm in Lawrence, Kansas. So am I. (laughs) (laughs) But we are in different houses. Thanks, coronavirus. Yeah, but at least Uh, we can still chat. Yes, it's wonderful. Well, today we are discussing Parenthood Season 1, Episode 8, Rubber Band Ball. It originally aired on April 20th, 2010. It was written by Jan Oxenberg and directed by Lawrence Trilling. And here is the NBC synopsis. The Braverman family is on high alert when Amber's ex-boyfriend, Damien, arrives from Fresno. Zeke takes Adam on a road trip for investment advice and some father-son bonding. Meanwhile, Julia and Joel worry that Sidney might be suffering from Asperger's, and Crosby wants to help plan Jabbar's birthday party. So I th- why don't we start this episode with the titular rubber band ball? Don't take any rubber bands off, please! Wait, whoa, why? Well, because I've got them all counted up. 18 blue, 53 reds, 118 brown. There's too many brown. I don't want the brown rubber bands to take over. I want my ball. I I want my ball. I detected some real animosity from Sydney's teacher. I don't think she likes Sydney very much. Or Julia. She hates them both. Yeah, that was the first thing I noted, just that the teacher was irritated and mom was really defensive. Did that strike you as a mom, you know, like as true? And a teacher. Yeah, that's true. You're both. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What did you make of the teacher and her reaction? See, because I would have been more in the dad camp of let's just listen to each other, please. We can figure this out. And it is hard as a teacher when you're trying to address a problem and the parent's first reaction is there is no problem here. Yeah. It's your problem. And that's not very solution oriented. She was also, I thought, being pretty childish, like tossing the ball while the teacher is speaking. Yeah, I, I I thought that was kind of obnoxious. But 
at the same time, I didn't really like the teacher. I, I True. So it was interesting. <laughs> like the way that the teacher put little in front of the other kid's name, you know, I'm like, well, Sydney's little too. Like, I don't know. It, I it thought the felt, same thing. I'm like, it's really? first grade. They're all little. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, and I did think it was sort of fun. You know, of course, that Julia was doing her lawyer interrogation thing, but I really did find it indicative of both Julia and Joel's character. Like when the teacher says she hit little so and so, I can't remember the Jaden Krantz. Why do <laughs> I remember? I, I do. don't know. <laughs> That's great. She hit little Jaden Krantz, and I love that Joel said, "Is he okay?" <laughs> and Julia's like, "On purpose? Like, like, let's. When, when was this alleged event? You know, it was just pretty." fantastic well the most interesting i mean i think the biggest aspect of this plot line and also thus the most interesting is that when julia goes to christina to see like is this possibly a sign of autism christina finds herself being almost hopeful that maybe it is so the question posed that I now pose to all of you is, do you think Christina is horrible for wishing that Sydney <laughs> might be autistic? I think we're supposed to, as an audience, sympathize with her on this. That's what I gathered um, just in that first meeting between the two women. Every reference to uh, the daughter being like that son is, I'm worried. Oh, I'm sure there's no problem. So I haven't seen the episodes leading up to this, but it's clear that this would be bad news if there's a similarity there. And so I don't know what they've gone through, um, but it sounds pretty alienating and that they might like someone to go through it with them. But do you think that makes them bad people or is it just... <laughs> just makes them lonely. <laughs> well, as Adam says, he's like, I think it's human. Yeah. That's ultimately where where I fell also. I, I didn't think it was horrible. Again, I think the thing that bothered me the most was that they did just keep using that terminology wrong. You know, like when they go and see Dr. Pelican and, and you know, Julia's like cut to the chase and she says, what's wrong with her? And I've talked about this before, so maybe I'm beating a dead horse. But I do think it's interesting that, yeah, as Jay pointed out, they seem to equate this with there being something wrong and... I, I guess in that case, then it does seem quote unquote horrible to wish something be wrong with with someone else's child. But I really don't look at it that way. Maybe easy for me to say, you know, with not having any kids at all, but I don't look at it that way. And, and so I don't know. They love Max so much and they know that Joel and Julia will love Sydney no matter what. And so it, I don't know. It just to me, that was the part that made me feel kind of icky is is that. It made me think a little bit about, you know, after I came out, I found myself hoping other people in my family might be gay because I just didn't want to be the only one. Yeah. Like I remember no, that makes I remember sense. hearing Ellen say in an interview once around the time when she came out, she said, you know, you're not just a minority in society. You're a minority in your own family. Wow. And there definitely was that feeling. And I found myself hoping, hey, maybe there's still time for someone else. To join me here. And that's something that, you know, I, I certainly don't think being gay is wrong, but it is different. Difference loves company too, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's a really beautiful analogy because you're totally right. Yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with it, but in some ways maybe harder, especially when you came out, what, 15 years ago, something like that? Uh, 16, around 17? There. Yeah. No, I'm not that old. I know, I know, sorry. I was trying to do the math. I'm an English teacher, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Well, and just company. Yeah. I, I know at the end of the show that 
Julia, I think, uh, mentions that she did read the book several times. She had no idea what they had been going through. But obviously, if she were to be in the same boat, she would know what they're going through. And that would be just another person to be able to reach out to. But no, never mind. I'm not in that boat. Yeah. But that's a good point that perhaps this scare actually does still give her Uh, help her relate more to the situation and maybe be a comfort in that regard. By the way, I know Julia was really nervous to tell Christina, you know, because she, I think, yeah, felt really embarrassed that she had kind of confided in her and then it ended up being that Sydney was gifted. And I thought Julia nailed it, like telling her. I thought, you know, she was so nervous. She chickened out the first time. But I thought when she really did tell her, you know, she she explained that she read the book several times and she didn't make it sound different than it was, you know, but she told her very delicately and then even admitted she was embarrassed to tell her. And I thought that was really lovely, you know, no deception or anything, just coming clean and trying to do it as as generously as possible. I thought she told her better than Dr. Kookaburra told Joel and Julia. <laughs> I feel like he it was like he was announcing a Maury Povich paternity test. I, to me, it was like, Sydney doesn't test in the normal range. I'm like, oh, why are you faking out these panicked parents? Just tell them straight ahead what's going on. That's a good point. You're but, right. That, you know, I yeah. guess that's not the most interesting TV. <laughs> It is funny to me, too, how, you know, like we've said, there's nothing wrong with being on the spectrum. And in a way, I hope I'm not making a uh, unfair comparison, but being gifted is you are an outlier in terms of your um, uh, I feel like I'm digging myself into a hole. No, I actually had a similar thought watching it because in this single episode, the only kid I see throw a fit is the girl. Both kids have had rubber band balls. But, oh, well, her label is gifted, so that's good news. His label is not, so that's bad news. Like, for just such a snapshot, it was interesting. That's a good point. And like Dr. Bluebird says, it is something they will have to monitor, just in the way that Adam and Christina have to monitor their kid. It also, I have to confess that one of the reasons I was interested to talk to Jay is because her five-year-old daughter, I'm just assuming she hasn't been tested or anything, she strikes me as like immensely intelligent and gifted as was and is Jay. I used to joke with Jay. I don't know if she remembers this, but I'd be like, what's it like being friends with someone whose IQ is tens of points below yours? <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs> as you were, as you were saying, Caleb. I just wondered though, Jay, do you, do you ever feel like, I guess any challenges raising a child that you can tell needs a lot of intellectual stimulation? Uh, I am nervous. She's supposed to start kindergarten here in a week and her mind is a mile a minute. And if it's not allowed to run wild, uh, she does feel things very deeply. And I don't want to get that call from the teacher saying she's obsessed with her ball and distracted by my boring lesson. I don't know what you do about that, except try and make sure everybody's on the same page about it. Because, of course, every kid has their own needs, not just the most extreme outliers. It's a, I, I have so much respect for elementary teachers. I don't know how you really address the full child for each child just like they need. I don't know the right answer. I also find it fascinating, now that I'm thinking about it, your daughter is so creative 
And when she has built something or drawn something or created something, she's obsessed with it. Yes. But hers doesn't manifest in that kind of bratty way that Sydney's did. You know, it's never give that back. It's look at this. Look at this. I want you to share in my excitement and I want to tell you every detail about it. I mean, maybe I'm just biased because I love her, but then it's so incredible to see how much thought this five-year-old has put into everything. Like everything in her drawing has a function of like, I drew this invention I thought of, and here's Mm -hmm. how every part of the machine that I invented works. And how did you think this stuff up? It's very elaborate, and her biggest meltdowns are when something happens to those creations, when her brother breaks her Lego thing apart, or she sets her picture down on a wet table. Oh, that's heartbreaking, actually. Yeah, pretty tough. Yeah. But doesn't last long, because she's usually invented something an hour later. Wow. But that's just it. You know, these labels that, you know, people outside of the normal range get are really arbitrary, in, in to some degree, of course, not completely, but where is that line between problematic and, you know, exceptional in some good way? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I get the impression on the sh- from the show that Max is obviously very smart in addition to whatever else he's got going on. No, well, and it was interesting, I think, to note that both characters sort of, had, you know, exhibited similar signs, you know, and... I, I believe that, you know, like being obsessed with something, you know, like just like having like really singular interests like that. I, I don't know. I think that's kind of fascinating. And well, that's common for gifted kids to find a, a topic that they're interested in and learn all about it. For me, it was the states before I was seven. I could name all 50 states and their capitals and their postal abbreviations. I just I was really into the states. Well, I still <laughs> I can't that. do the abbreves. It's too hard. <laughs> I can say all 50 states in alphabetical order in under 30 seconds. I don't have to go do time. <laughs> do you want me to? Well, now you've thrown down the gauntlet. I think all right. we have to. All right. Here we go. Start the clock and go. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. I think that was way less than 30 seconds. I always say 30. I give myself some time, but it's right around like 18. That is impressive. <laughs> you know the exact time. <laughs> Very impressive. Trick, but I'm not gifted. like So I don't know. But um, that is a gift, undeniably. Maybe, maybe so. <laughs> but, you know, earlier when Jay was talking about that, like um, these terms and to what extent do they matter? But I remember... Most of my friends growing up, including Jay, of course, were gifted, you know, in the gifted program. And I got tested and I was just, you know, normal, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And that was fine, except, well, I think it's fine now. But at the time, I was really heartbroken because I thought, oh, I'm not exceptional or, you know, I'm, and now I think, oh, that that's fine. I don't need, you know, but, but it is interesting. Like, and it makes me wonder about these kids, like what do they hear about themselves and how does that define how they think about themselves? Like I noticed that Christina and Julia sent Max out of the room to talk about him. I'm not sure to what extent he's aware 
of you know the the Aspergers is you know again what they call it, but but of his autism, you know, I'm not sure if he's even aware because it seems like they're mostly trying to hide it from him. Um, and I wonder when they'll tell Sydney, you know, that she is gifted and what that will mean for her. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I got tested when I was a kid. And, you know, like Jay said, it, to some degree, the determination of where you fall is like kind of arbitrary. Because I remember with me, I was apparently one point under the threshold to be accepted into gifted education. And I believe there's two components to the IQ test, like verbal and spatial. And my verbal score was like through the roof and my spatial was way lower, apparently so much lower that they thought perhaps the test had been like administered incorrectly. And so I had to get tested a second time because they just wanted to see was that disparity for real or was there some anomaly? And I got the exact same score. So one point below. And because I had this one point below with this huge disparity, they just let me in anyway. (laughs) And both of my older sisters were in gifted, but like solidly above whatever this (laughs) threshold was. And just hearing you talk about, you know, what does that make a kid feel like? I wonder what it would have made me feel like if I had been so close, but not accepted. And I was the only kid in the family not gifted. I'm sure it wouldn't have you know, rerouted the course of my whole life, but I'm sure it would have made me feel bad. Well, you know, that, that happened to me a lot in high school, actually, you know, I wasn't in gifted. All my friends got into the National Honor Society and I did not. And I I feel like there are lots of other examples of that where, you know, in these formative years where you're defining who you are, I think I was defining myself as just not as exceptional as everyone around me, which I laugh about it now because I just don't think it matters. But at the time I did, it really affected how I saw myself. And I just, um, you know, and it feels like kind of a dumb thing to complain about now. I'm like realizing just how privileged this sounds like, oh, I wasn't gifted or an NHS. And, you know, I but but at the time it did kind of hurt because I thought, well, you know, and, you know, at the end of high school, I remember there was like there was this huge list of most likely to, you know, and, and people voted. There was something like 300 categories of most likely tos. And most of my friends got several, you know, most likely to win a Nobel Peace Prize or most likely to win an Oscar. Uh, I got nothing. Like, <laughs> I, I wasn't voted something terrible. I just wasn't on there, even though there were more categories than there were students. And so I often just thought, well, my thing is just no one notices me. <laughs> and oh. that, which is, Again, I don't know, but it's weird to talk about it. And like, as I'm talking about it, it's still kind of, there's a little bit of a pang, even though I would say I've put all this to rest, who cares? So I I do feel like sometimes these, these things that are figured out about you when you're a kid, you do kind of carry it with you. You're right though. I think as you grow older, you start to realize how much they don't matter. Like a girl I went to high school with wanted to be in gifted even in high school and was like, took the test over and over and never got in. And yet she was clearly extremely intelligent. So just because she didn't make that kind of arbitrary threshold, it didn't matter. And also she had qualities that, at least speaking for myself, I didn't have mainly a work ethic that was like ridiculous. (laughs) She was so hardworking. 
she got into so many elite universities and colleges because she was very intelligent and so hardworking. I got into one school and that's why I went there. I just didn't have that element. And she achieved, depending on how you measure it, way more success than I. I think she's a doctor now, literally. And it's like, yeah, I mean, there's no replacement for hard work, too. Just because you're gifted is no guarantee that you're going to do anything with it. I think it's interesting you mentioning the paying, Melissa, because... Clearly that's still there, like on the show, uh, among the adults, they're not wanting to be honest about what's going on. Their children still obviously have a lot in common. You know, yeah. they still don't know that both of them had rubber band balls. There's going to be a lot of overlap there that they really can share, but instead it's, oh, mine has the good label and yours has the bad label. So oh, yeah. sorry, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. I don't know. I can't help but think there's more common ground there than they realize. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny, prob- I would bet in terms of IQ, Max probably is in the gifted range. I'm I mean, sure he's portrayed, he I know, Jay, you didn't see anything besides this episode, but he's really smart. Well, all the bugs he names in this episode. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and he could go on for days. Yeah. Oh, I hear little kids in the background. Uh-oh. I love it. <laughs> well, unless we have more to say. Oh, I just wanted really quickly to tell you, yeah, spatial relations. That's what got me too, man. Um, That's what got me too. (laughs) And what's strange is apparently like playing the piano requires a huge amount of spatial ability. And I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a really good piano player. Yeah. (laughs) But I guess my spatial was low. And I wonder, you know, IQ is supposed to measure not how much you know, but sort of your intelligence quotient, your potential, how much is your capacity? So I don't think it's the kind of thing like, oh, well, I took that test before I really knew how to play the piano. If I took it now, that skill would have really improved. I don't think that's how it works. But anyway, whatever, who cares? Well, and don't they have other ways of measuring intelligence now? You know, like, aren't there seven kinds or, you know, and... and I think that's emotional intelligence, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because oh, I know like seven. Really those are love there. languages. Sorry, I was. <laughs> there's seven of those, and deadly there sins. Five love Coincidence? <laughs> I... <laughs> Melissa, as a fellow teacher, I know the seven things you're talking about that we've had to listen to in professional development. Yes. Yeah. Can yeah. you name them in under thirty seconds? <laughs> no, no, I can't do that. <laughs> All of it's to say, only two of the types of intelligence are ones measured by schools. Interesting. And that ones like musical intelligence, which you're through the roof on, Caleb, aren't going to show up on any tests that you take. So interesting. Take that, gifted. (laughs) Even though I was still let in. (laughs) I think that did, um, eventually, that was like a consolation for me when I learned about other types and, and thought, well, it's okay you know, we're all exceptional in different ways. And I know that sounds maybe cheesy, but I think it, it helps. You know, everybody wants to feel exceptional in some way, I, I think. I think that feels like a universal thing. I did find it interesting that we've had a few episodes where we kind of questioned the titles of the episodes, like they named the whole episode after this, or titles that weren't very descriptive of what was actually happening in the episode, like what's going on down there. It took me a long time to even figure out what are they referring to? I liked that this episode, it was clear, simple, to the point, 
rubber band ball. Yeah. And I remember, oh, yeah, yeah, the episode with the rubber band ball. And yet I was surprised to discover it's not a huge plot line in the episode. Like, I wouldn't, it's not the A story. I don't think so. Yeah. So jumping to another of the, I thought, smaller stories of this episode, which is Zeke's storyline with Adam. First of all, they, they're throwing around the word acumen a lot at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> and I was just interested because it's a word that I know that I know, at least from context, I get what it means. But I was like, what is the actual definition for anyone who wants to know, it's the ability to make good judgments and quick decisions, typically in a particular domain. What I was most surprised to find out is that Google pronounces it... Acumen. I've never heard that. If that's true, I've been saying it wrong my whole life, as has everyone I've ever known. <laughs> I say acumen. Well, I don't really. I don't say that word hardly ever. Um, so I've never heard anyone say acumen. Anyway, you know, this is the joy of looking things up. It's like my favorite thing about doing a podcast with Caleb. He looks up everything. <laughs> and some, sometimes I'm I don't curious. even look stuff up because I'm like, Caleb's going to look that up. I'm good. <laughs> it makes me happy. And, you know, an- that's another thing. Who, what does it matter if you're gifted if you're not curious? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I had a teacher in college once who, who went off once about... Um, you know, like regurgitating dates or facts on a test and people would say, well, that's not, that's not knowledge. That's just memorization. And he said, oh, that's ridiculous. Tell me one thing, you know, that you didn't remember. (laughs) I thought I got his larger point, but I thought he also made a really good point is that one is kind of a prerequisite to the other. But Mm. anyway, that's a tangent. One big thing that struck me with Zeke's storyline is what exactly is his business? Like, what has he spent his whole life doing and what does he do now, if anything? I think I thought he was retired. But even if he is, retired from what? Yeah, he has this investment opportunity, but is that what he did his whole life? In Invest in real estate, I guess? I was hoping you guys could tell me because his wife just apparently sits in the backyard painting and stuff. So they seemed like they were pretty well off. Yeah, they did. Uh, You're making me realize I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea. Um, But I do. And spoiler alert, taking my full knowledge of the series into account, I still don't know what Zeke did or does. I don't either. If they ever say I don't remember. I I think I assumed he was retired as well. We do know he's a Vietnam vet, which was both mentioned in this episode, but it's it's mentioned often. Uh, And we know that Camille loves painting. And I feel like that's maybe all we know. Uh, I will say, though, that a few episodes ago, our guest Aaron said, this is not what marital strife looks like. It was when Joel got kissed by someone else. You know, she said, marital strife is money problems and you don't tell the other person. And I'm like, hey, (laughs) We have that now. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, to me, that was the most interesting part. And it was kind of a small part. But of that storyline was just the fact that he's not confiding in his wife about the fact that they are in real trouble financially. And I thought that's unforgivable, (laughs) you know, like not even just getting themselves into the trouble, but not telling her. I thought that was awful. And like taking a second mortgage out on the home you share together. What a betrayal. That is such a betrayal. What hit hardest the most for me, I think, was Adam being there on the receiving end of that confession. It's it's so hard to see your parents brought low. You know, I think mm. as you grow up, kids just naturally sort of like mythologize their parents. 
that they are superheroes in a way or examples of what grown-ups are. And then as you get older, you gradually and gradually realize, oh, they were just people too, doing their best, hopefully, but making mistakes as people do and they're flawed and the mythology kind of wears away. That's really tough. I definitely got that point because any other time you see Zeke in this episode, he's being really aggressive and standing up for his family and being kind of loud. But literally at that moment where he's explaining what's going on, he's like naked in a dark hotel room. Wow. Good observation. They are really driving home that point. Yeah, that's good. I didn't even think about that. I was like, oh, Zeke has a tattoo. (laughs) 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 But yeah, no, that's good. So on this road trip, there are conflicting accounts of this childhood memory of a Grand Canyon trip. And uh, at the end of the episode, we get Camille kind of setting the record straight. This is the way it went. Julia got sick and threw up in my hair. She was screaming her little heart out. I was trying to comfort her while wiping puke out of my eyes. You were too busy laughing to even think about helping. You did me the big favor of pulling into a gas station while you were filling up the tank. I was in that disgusting bathroom trying to wash the vomit out of my hair under the faucet in the sink. Millie, I never knew it upset you that much. Would you accept a belated apology? I'm sorry. Ah! Sure. I can't pinpoint what exactly about that moves me so much, but it does. I My heart just breaks for her. I felt the same way. I wasn't sure why the show included that scene instead of actually showing us that he's confessing what he's done. I felt like there was probably some reason for it, but I didn't know enough to know. That's interesting. I, I took note you know, in the final montage, there's a shot of Camille and Zeke but they don't say anything. She pours him tea and he, and she kind of looks ticked off and he looks kind of guilty. And I thought, Oh, are we supposed to think he's just told her? Oh, huh. And I'm not sure, but you saying that just now makes me think, Oh, maybe that is what we're supposed to take away from it. And it is strange that they included Grand Canyon story and not that. You know, it's funny. I didn't think it was strange because I thought the money thing is probably a storyline that they're going to milk for a while is is what I assumed. I, I honestly don't really remember, but I thought that that was probably what was going to happen. Whereas the Grand Canyon thing felt to me more like a just a small moment where we, we sort of see cracks in the armor, maybe like that Zeke has in many ways not held up his end during their marriage. You know, he has... He has made jokes of things that weren't funny to her. She was always in the background working much harder than he was while, you know, he just got to be the fun-loving parent who got a lot of the attention. And and I don't know. I, I thought it made sense. And the reason he wasn't telling her about the money was I was like, well, I think this is maybe saved for a later date, um, which I hate. But I feel like if he's been lying to her this long about money, Maybe maybe we get a few more episodes of him continuing to do so. One thing it did remind me of 
for kind of a strange reason, was Christina's big confession to Gabby a few episodes ago, uh, which just about the constant stress and worry of being a mother, that you're always worried about what one kid is going through. And if you're not worried about that, then you're worried about why am I not worrying about my other kid? And something about hearing Camille talk about this story, it made me think, oh, she's been doing that for 40 years with twice as many children. And when you're devoting so much of your thoughts and every waking moment to these other people, what happens to you? And who are you even to yourself? Where does your identity go if you're just, I'm just, I'm Adam's mom and I'm Sarah's mom and I'm Crosby's mom and I'm Zeke's wife. And, but who are you? And I, and it made me wonder, even though that's not what the speech was about at all, if that had happened to her. And at the end of the speech, I felt like Zeke's apology was very sincere. I did too. And he's, you know, embracing her from behind. And I was struck that her face is stone. It does not look like she is softening at all because of his apology or because of his touch. And maybe that I'm reading too much into it. But I kind of felt like this apology is not taking. <laughs> you know, she's too little, she's, too late. Uh, it's too little, too late. And maybe it's not like an issue so huge that it's going to break them up. But I don't think it's something that she just needed to hear. I'm sorry. And then she's fine with it. I think it's bigger. This is the tip of some iceberg, I think. Mm -hmm. On a much less significant note, is this the first time that we hear Zeke call Camille Millie? Oh, I think it is. I do love that nickname. Me too. Is it the first time we see her painting? I know you said that there was a deleted scene where we saw her painting, but I was trying to remember if this was the first time in a scene that was actually aired on TV that we saw that. I think you might be right. So it's interesting how these little bitty character developments are starting to pop up. You know, like it seems to me like maybe everyone's getting a sharper idea of who everyone is. Yeah. I don't know. Well, let's move on to one of the larger stories of the episode, I think, which is the return of Damien. That we're screwed. It felt like such a that went well moment. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, you could you could fill in a million different lines to button that scene. (laughs) Well, Jay, just being new to the show, and that's your introduction to Amber and her mom, Sarah, you know, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) welcome. What did you think of either their relationship or just that? you know, particular scene. Did you have any special thoughts on that? Because I found it so interesting. I mean, I'm surprised they got caught because I don't know, I mom just barging in on a shower. I thought that's a huge level of closeness there already. <laughs> I took the exact same note. I literally wrote down, do mothers think nothing of opening the shower on their teenage daughters? Yeah, I don't have a teenager yet, but... <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's like, you know, she wouldn't have done that if it was Drew. No. <laughs> um, also, why? I mean, I guess maybe some people do do that kind of stuff in the shower, but who brushes their teeth in the shower? I feel like I hear about a lot of people doing that. I've never done that, but 
it kind of makes sense. I, I guess, guess. It, it's so strange because I suppose it does make perfect sense. But to me, it's it's kind of a like don't shit where you eat sort of thing, <laughs> except I don't think you shit or eat in a shower. But it's like, no, keep the shower for showering and brush your teeth at the sink where you belong. I, it's how like I don't want to drink water from the bathroom sink, even though it's all water. It doesn't matter. I would never... You know, you're both bringing up a very good point about why does Sarah like pull back the shower curtain? I didn't, that didn't even occur to me. I was more like, who showers with their boyfriend in their grandparents' house? You know, like, (laughs) but then I thought maybe lots of people do. I don't know. And I don't even mean to sound judgy. It's not, I mean, clearly they've, they've been together, Amber and Damien. So it's not like this is, you know, a, a new thing. And I don't mean to sound judgy. I just... Personally, I was such a good girl. Like, you know, growing up, I just cannot imagine doing that in my in my house. I, I don't know. I thought, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that make you nervous? But maybe it's a very exciting, you know. Anyone can walk in and they do. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. I just, I remember the first time I watched this, especially being very surprised that that even happened. It's funny, though. I feel like this illustrates, even though this is not at all what the scene is about, but it illustrates that whatever you grow up with is what you perceive as normal. So like Mm -hmm. Jay and I clearly have the same mother and we both thought it was weird that a mom would open the shower curtain on their child. Perhaps that just means our mom would never do that. (laughs) And so we think- My mom never did that either though. I got it. And you didn't think it was strange. But I didn't think it was strange. Hmm. Well, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. But there was like this- intimacy that happened in my family uh, because my dad was disabled and uh, he had two major strokes when I was six and the way he had to go take a bath he couldn't shower um, because of the way our house was he had to undress in his bedroom and then take his cane and walk to the bathroom which was not attached and so he'd be walking naked to the bathroom and I got very used to just seeing him sometimes, you know, I, at first, I, I don't know. I don't think I always just looked away, but I never tried to make him feel embarrassed about it or anything. And so I don't know, that's like such a different thing I realize, but I wonder if that might be part of why my reaction was a certain thing. Like there, sometimes <laughs> nudity was unavoidable in my house. Mm-hmm. I don't know um, if that makes sense. Well, at the very least, I think it makes the same point I was just making, which is that, you know, someone might think, oh, seeing my dad naked, that would be mortifying. It's like, alter your circumstances just a little bit, and yeah. then it's not. Yeah. It's just it a fact just of life. Had, yeah, it just had to happen that way. And yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting thing. Well, as we have referenced with Damien several times on this podcast, uh, Zeke makes the omen connection as well. Damien the demon seed. Why is everybody- <laughs> <laughs> that made me LOL. I loved it. <laughs> After the big dust up, Sarah and Amber have a heart to heart. Why do you insist on making every mistake I made? You know, every time you talk about your life being a mistake, all I hear is that my whole existence is a mistake and you... Oh, no. Oh, no. no. Honey, I don't want to talk right. to you right now. Honey, I don't want to leave you so upset. Please leave me alone, okay? Please, I don't want to talk to you. Okay, okay, okay. I loved Amber's reaction. I thought felt honest enough that it was touching to me. And also, in a way, just melodramatic enough 
that it really felt like it was coming from a teenager. Something about the vocabulary of my whole existence is a mistake. I'm like, that's a little extreme. And yet I totally bought from her that she would say that. And I also thought it painted a really interesting parenting call to make. What do you do if your child expresses a desire to be alone, but Mm. is also in a state of like distress and you want to be there for them? What do you do? Do you respect their wishes or do you say, no, I'm not leaving you? I think that would be so hard. I liked that she didn't have an answer. I felt like that was a very real moment and she just finally had to stutter. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll go. Yeah. There was no quick, you know, TV retort to what was happening. Yeah. And I loved that she said, I don't want to leave you so upset. But then she did, you know, and I did notice as she leaves, I don't think this is on the clip I just played. She does say, I'll come back so that it was, I'm not leaving you forever. I mean, of course not. But that like, I'll check on you in a bit is what I took from that. Because I think, of course, naturally, you might want some alone time after that. But it would be really hard, I think, to walk out on your kid while they're sobbing when probably every instinct in you is saying, take care of them, comfort them. I really loved, too, that Amber said, just was so honest about every time you say, why do you insist on every mistake I make? Of course, that would make you feel like a mistake, you know, because that that's the whole thing. She got involved with Amber and Drew's father, who is like a musician and not very reliable. He has a drug problem. These are things we learn. How do you not take that personally? Like consider yourself one of the mistakes. But then, of course, Sarah obviously didn't mean that. It was just, yeah, I think that's why that scene got me so much. It's so well acted, and you completely see where each character is coming from. Sarah is often so flippant about the failures in her life or the mistakes in her life, and I think she copes with them by having a humorous take on them a lot of the time. But it is interesting to think, you know, if you keep joking about, yeah, well, my life went down the crapper, in the presence of your kids who on one level really are the reason that she didn't get to pursue a lot of her dreams. Now that's of course not the kid's fault, but like the song from into the woods says, careful, the things you say, children will listen. You know, she might make those jokes thinking nothing of it, but her kids are internalizing that over all these years. And to some degree you can't help but think, yeah, I ruined our mom's life. Oh my God. Wow. What did you think of the whole Sarah Amber dynamic, Jay, just kind of seeing them for the first time? Did you think that they seemed like, you know, close or or how do I phrase that? Did did you like their dynamic? I mean, it it seemed real. And obviously there were hints at recent change because I guess they just moved back. They're trying to escape something. So obviously it's a time of upheaval. And I would think they would rely on each other more since they're going through this together. But I guess I don't really know outside of this episode how close they are. I just, it's it's a kind of a classic storyline. And I feel like it was pretty easy to catch up with. Well, Zeke takes it upon himself to have a discussion with Damien too, which I just thought was funny. Well, Damien, gee, I, I'm just, I'm sure you're a nice guy in the But uh, you left your sock in my house, but you took my granddaughter's innocence. Here's your sock. I'm going to give you a 20. Now, I want you to fill up your tank, and I want you to clear out of here. And I'm asking you nicely. What about Amber? Damien, 
If this van is within a five-mile radius of my house, I'll know it because I can smell it. And then you and I are going to have a visit, and I'm going to spend some quiet time with you. Do I make myself clear? Sir, I just want to let you know that I consider myself a student of philosophy. Live and let live. I mean no harm to anyone. I am an irrational hard-ass with rage issues. Don't piss me off. I'd listen to him. The guitar started playing. When the guitar starts, <laughs> you know things are about to get serious. <laughs> I really love Damien saying, I consider myself a student of philosophy. I mean no harm to anyone. And I simultaneously got why Amber was into him and why Amber by the end of this episode is like, oh, this douchebag, <laughs> you know, totally like you watch her fall out of, you know, love or whatever with him. And I think that's kind of fantastic. Like, he is such a poser, right? He, like, comes across as so cool, man. But it's like, there's no substance there. It certainly does seem like he's more of a distraction than a danger. It's like, no one's worried about him, are they? Like, he he's such a doofus. That was the impression I got, that he was still polite in his response, even if it was dopey but that he didn't seem to be a negative influence as a human being on her. And at this point, I still didn't know how old she was. I think I figured out later that she must be a high schooler. And that definitely changes this because I wasn't sure if she was a college kid who should have more say in, in what she gets to do than a high schooler would. So he seemed like net neutral. Although he can't pronounce words. And when Zeke says, I'll know if you're around because I can smell it. He takes that literally and showers with a hose in their yard. <laughs> I didn't take it as that was why he was showering. But he has a line. He said something like, um, well, He said I should wash up, right? That's why, right? Because I'll be able to smell you within a five mile radius. Isn't that why he said that? Maybe not. Oh, who knows? I, I it was such take a it dopey way. move. I, maybe I'm Maybe he is a bit of a dope. I did think it was interesting <laughs> to kind of contrast how Zeke spoke to him with how Sarah spoke to him. Listen, <laughs> you seem like a, you know, an okay guy, but uh, Amber's from a broken home. Do you know what that means? She doesn't know a serious relationship from a sandwich yet. And the point is, I want her to focus on herself, on her future, school, maybe even college. Yeah. There's an old expression. If you love someone, set them free. If they come back, they're yours. If they don't, they never were. You know what I mean? It's not that easy. Hmm. You're right. It isn't that easy. But it would really help her out. Just for now, you know? You know, as a student of philosophy, I feel like <laughs> that would have really... <laughs> you know, resonated with him. That's his language, man. I liked that she kind of dropped the act with him and admitted that he like had a point. And, and then it felt like she was more real with him. Yeah, that was a pretty cheesy speech, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um, he's cheesy. So I really thought that would have melded together perfectly. I'm just, I don't know what it is. Damien, he seemed fine. Like we're saying, he seemed like an okay guy to quote Sarah. But I feel like... I just, there was something about him. I was like, oh, I hate this guy. Not even in a, he's going to hurt Amber way, but just in a, he is just so fake. I don't know. Something about him. Oh, but, see, he doesn't strike me as fake. No? I think he's genuinely 
O-U-C. <laughs> I think he's just genuinely kind of a dope. And pretentious? Uh, I guess in a way, but not even, I don't, I don't get that he thinks he's better than people. Maybe I think not. he maybe thinks he's on to, you know, some kind of knowledge yeah. that other people aren't perceptive enough. Yeah, that speech at the end about like, who can't, you know, when we're all, you know, when the grid falls apart, I'm like, who is Although this it's never felt more real. <laughs> I thought that as I was watching, he's like, the world as we know it is about to end. I don't know exactly when. And it's like, oh, I think Damien might be right. <laughs> Maybe that's true. Damien is perceptive in ways that I am not giving him credit for. And when that happens, it won't matter if you know how to pronounce marooders. <laughs> it's another word I never use. When she said, like, honestly, I didn't realize he'd gotten it wrong until she corrected him. And I'm an English teacher. That's maybe embarrassing. You should maybe cut that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I felt in previous episodes... I feel like we've discussed it a little bit that it feels like Camille hasn't gotten as much time as some of the other characters. But I feel like this episode, she was all over the place, really getting a chance to shine. And this conversation with Sarah, I thought was so beautiful. Why does she hate me, mom? Daughters hate their mothers. I think it's a law of nature. But you know what? Then they come back. You're my best one. Maybe not my best one, but you're the one that I most identify with. Not perfect, Adam. No. You're the brave one. You take risks. You always took a chance. You declared your independence pretty early on, and you went for it. You have to honor that person that you are, because I do. Well, I was struck by that because, you know, she really cries after that. And I can only assume that what she's really feeling during all this stuff with her daughter is that it's all her fault, and this is all her mistake that her daughter would even be in this position. And this is mom's way of saying, you're not a failure, trust me. But I didn't really know because I didn't know what led up to this either. Well, I think you nailed Sarah's opinion of her own parenting. It's been yeah. a common theme up to now. She thinks she's a horrible parent and that she's screwing her kids over by being such a horrible parent. And it's ironic because I keep saying it and I keep thinking it's true. I think she might be the best parent of all of them. And they're all good parents. I don't know. There's some, I think she's very real with them. And I think she allows them to be who they are. I, I don't know. And, and I think being vulnerable the way she is, self-doubt is sometimes not a sign of failure, but of, of strength. I think, you know, sometimes when people are really cocky and they don't question what they're doing, they're not growing. And I think Sarah grows all the time because she is constantly wondering if what she's doing is right. Camille's speech, yeah, you know, at first I wasn't quite sure why she was making it. I'm like, why are you telling her that you're, that she's your favorite child? And yet when I, I thought about it, I sort of interpreted it as a response to her saying kind of offhandedly, oh, daughters hate their mothers, but then they come back. And it felt to me like perhaps there was some 
like subtext there of there was a time that Camille thought Sarah hated her mm. and that maybe Sarah never knew that, that that was how her mother felt. And then it was like Camille somehow recognized that. And was like, oh, let me nip this in the bud. Wow. I, I want to assure her all is forgiven. And now I know you don't hate me. It's okay. And, and maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but I don't think you are. It did seem to say like for a mother to say, well, all daughters hate their mothers to her daughter. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, yeah. it was like putting words in her mouth. And I found it really moving. The part that really got, I think you're absolutely right, first of all. But the part that really got me was towards the end of the speech, she said, maybe I haven't said this before in these exact words. She said something like that. And the look on Sarah's face made it pretty clear that no, she had not. And I thought, gosh, your daughter's almost 40 is this the first time you've like told her how special she is and how brave? Or that you're proud of her? Yeah. Not to blame mothers. I feel bad saying that, but I wonder if that's a factor in Sarah having such a low opinion of herself, you know, if she hasn't been built up much and her saying not perfect Adam, you know, if the message that the parents have often been giving to her brother though, is that, oh, well, you've got everything together. You're so perfect. You know, I wonder if that is a factor. It's also interesting to think about that alongside Camille's speech at the end of the episode about the Grand Canyon trip. Camille's been sitting on that feeling about that trip mm-hmm. for, you know, 35 years, however old Julia is. Yeah. And, um, you know, when she says to Sarah, you have to honor that person because I do, and that she admires her because of her taking risks. It's like, would Sarah ever let such a misconception about her feelings go on for 20 years. I feel like if Sarah got vomited on and people were laughing at her, she would like turn right around and say, stop laughing at me. I'm covered in puke. And Camille just like sublimated it. And uh, maybe there's some envy with that admiration. Like, oh, if I were more like you, maybe I wouldn't find myself in the situation I'm in. Oh, yeah. Where I'm just resenting so much of my history. Maybe that is what she means when she calls her brave. You know, like I I was wondering, you know, what do you mean by that? Um, What risks? I mean, I guess marrying Seth was probably a risk and a risk that didn't pan out. So it leaves her feeling like a failure. But she is also apparently the only child that moved away. Yeah, everyone else lives in the town where they grew up. Yeah, she just recently moved back. Some of them are even still doing their laundry at the house. Crosby. Um, (laughs) And presumably Sarah, I guess. But anyway. Oh, that's true. But she deviated first. (laughs) One other comparison I realize now, if you compare that talk to the one Sarah had with her own daughter at the beginning, the way that each mom compares herself to the daughter is different. That Sarah's saying, oh, you just keep making the same mistakes I make. Conclusion, I'm a mistake. Whereas her mom is saying, I see myself in you and you're brave. It's a much more affirming comparison. Yeah. Well, and Amber is brave. I mean, Amber takes risks. And so it's interesting. Sarah could have a similarly positive conversation with her daughter. Maybe the time for that isn't right after she catches her in the shower with a boyfriend. <laughs> but I feel like at the end of the episode, we do kind of get that. You know, we we do get a different speech from Sarah to Amber of you know, where we see how much she does admire her. Do you think Sarah handled Amber well in that last scene? I do. I thought it was beautiful. Like... I love the whole time she was trying to give her cake and she was like, I don't want the cake. And it wasn't about that, of course. But then for whatever reason, that 
leads them into a serious conversation where she's like, I'm going to stop trying to make you something else. You know, I'm going to start respecting you more. And Amber then takes the cake, you know, and it felt like it became a peace offering or something, you know, it became a symbol. Maybe that's silly, but I don't I had, know. I just, I thought the same thing. Yeah. And for a situation oh. that the whole episode seemed to not really have a solution, it seemed like she said it right out loud. I think I'll try to get along with you and trust you there. Yeah. That's all any parent can do. Yeah. And I love that right after that, that's when Amber <laughs> decides that Damien's adult, you know, and, and she says it had no, absolutely nothing to do with you, but I don't believe that. And maybe, maybe, maybe it really doesn't, you know, maybe it's just, he said marooders and she was like, oh, I am over this guy. But I don't know. I, I, I did think it was a little silly. It's like, that's all it took for her to realize who he is. Are we supposed to believe that all it took was people not fighting her on it? I think you're right. I think Uh, the appeal of Damien is that she's not supposed to be with Damien. And once that's lifted, she's able to see him clearly for who he He is. He also is pretty cute in his way, I thought. (laughs) Yeah. I also, at the end, it seemed like Amber proved that Jonathan Livingston Siegel quote to Sarah. (laughs) Sarah let her go and she came back. Oh my so God, she's that's hers. so perfect. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on to the last storyline of the episode, and in some ways, I think probably the most significant, which is my favorite. Crosby's storyline with Jasmine and Jabbar. To start things off, the way that Crosby characterizes Jasmine at the beginning of the episode, I thought was intriguing. She's just sending a lot of mixed messages. It's like half the time she wants me to be the dad, and then the other half she's keeping me on the outside. I just wish she would pick a path and stick to it. I totally get why he would think that of her. But from her perspective, it feels like she's just constantly having to gauge his reliability and then like yeah. adjust accordingly. And I I love conflicts like that, where it's like, neither of them are wrong about what's going on. They're just coming at it from two different directions and doing what they think is best. I continue to be fascinated by this dilemma. I know for a fact, because I remember it so vividly, that the first two times I watched this show, I was really angry that Jasmine hit it. And, and or is hit it the right thing? She didn't tell Crosby. And while I still don't think that's maybe 100% the right thing to do, something this time around kind of struck me when they were decorating for the party and she did say, well, I tried calling you because I always thought, well, that seems like a weak excuse. Say you're pregnant, like actually say it. But then I started to get it. I'm like, well, if you call someone and they're not calling you back and you're like, I can't even rely on this person for this. And, you know, when she said I was going through something and you couldn't call me, you know, I thought. I, I kind of get it. And I, I don't know. It, it is a real ethical dilemma. I'm not saying either one of them is 100% right. But I don't know. I, I think I started to maybe see where she was coming from a little bit. And, you know, this whole idea of, like, he says it's my child, too. Well, that is true. But then when she says, I gave birth to him, you know, I, it just made me think of all of these, like, pro-choice arguments, you know. And, and even though she chose to have Jabbar, I'm like, wow. It's kind of a similar thing where instead of like, do you have to tell the other person before you have an abortion? Well, do you have to tell the other person before you give birth? I don't know. It's maybe a controversial thing I just said. I didn't mean to, but you know, like I'm just wondering, what did you two think? I thought it was very even split on who's at fault. I think if she keeps calling and he's not answering, the message is clear, we're done. Mm -hmm. But 
again, this is some big news. So she's not entirely right. Yeah, I agree. And because while I totally understand that that's not the kind of thing you'd want to leave in a message, it also means he's not actually being given a chance to respond to the situation as it is. In a way, it's like, let me test you first and then decide if you get to know the truth. Mm. Well, that's not really fair. But then like she says, I, I realized I didn't want you to answer. And, you know, if that's what she actually wants, then she gets to do whatever she wants. I still don't think it's a great move to deprive him of that, but it's not my call. It's her call. I think to me, the most compelling part of this storyline is when he does meet Jabbar, I think by and large, he does a fantastic job. I mean, we see little mistakes he makes here and there, but I mean, he just found out he was a dad. I think he falls in love with his son very quickly. I think, you know, they have a really good dynamic. I think for the most part, it's a, it's about as good as you could hope for five years later, introducing someone to a new kid. But I guess the part that I find so compelling is how would he have been five years younger? I mean, we see already how irresponsible he is at 35 years old. So if he had found out at age 30, you know, Jasmine shows up with this kid or tells him I'm pregnant, you know, how would that have gone? And I think the hardest part is we don't know. And I think maybe that's part of what frustrates him. He could have been a disaster. He could have been flaky or he could have stepped up. And I don't think there's any actual way to know. I really don't. Um, I think meeting Jabbar is the thing that makes him grow up now. Would that still have been true five years ago? I don't know. But the part that broke my heart was when he was talking about looking at all those pictures of his son around her house and he was never going to know him at that age. And that, oh my God. And, and so it's, and I think to Jasmine's credit, I think she does feel really bad. You know, I think part of the reason she reacts like by doubling down is I think she maybe does suspect that she messed up, you know? And I think we see that in the scene with, um, at the party. Yeah. Both of my nieces are five years old and now having children in my life, even from the distance of an uncle who lives far away, the idea of just meeting them now and not mm. having seen anything up to now hits so much harder than it would have when I you know, didn't have any nieces or nephews. There's so much that you would have missed. That really is heartbreaking and like feels like a terrible thing to do to someone. I also totally agree with your point that her guilt over this was maybe coloring her reaction before the fight even happened. Because from the beginning of the episode, I thought she seemed awfully antagonistic about everything and about the party. Like, why was she, when they're picking out decorations at the store, at first I was like, you're just being unnecessarily rude about this whole thing. Why are you so, and I know that she was probably still upset about the incident at the pool in the previous episode, but it just seemed out of character for her almost. And then once she owns up to what she told her family, it's like, oh, that's why she was coming on so strong. She did not want him at the party, and she certainly didn't want his family at the party because then Spotlight was going to be on her to have to decide, do I own up to this lie that I told, or do I get to keep just taking the easy way out? Do you get the impression that if Jabbar hadn't asked to meet him, she still would not have introduced him? Is she just regretting that all of this is happening or is she in a different place now than That's a great several question. episodes ago? I think that if Jabbar hadn't asked, she would have kept going without introducing him. So she might resent the entire situation. I don't 
She might. I mean, honestly, even though you you get the sense that they're becoming closer, Jasmine and Jabbar, like, you know, as friends or or co-parents. Jasmine and Crosby. Oh, right. Sorry. Jasmine and Crosby as parents or friends or what have you. It's still you get the some one of the notes I made was it would be very hard to raise a kid as a single parent for five years. You get to make every single decision. Everything is exactly what you want. And then suddenly you have to share responsibilities. And even though that isn't Crosby's fault, that would still be really hard. I was I having that exact thought. You know, he's saying, well, they're his aunts and uncles, too. And I'm like, well, they haven't been. Again, that's not his fault. But <laughs> I, I just yeah. wonder if she doesn't want to be dealing with any of this. But Caleb, you seem to think maybe that wasn't it. What what were your thoughts on that? Oh, just that I I don't know if she like regrets telling him. I don't think it's like, oh, I wish Jabbar had never asked so that I didn't have to. Do. I don't necessarily get that feeling from her, but it may it may be a version of that of like the whole thing is forcing her to revisit some decisions she made that probably have never totally sat well with her. Yeah. I think she probably has felt guilt all along of like, maybe I should have told him I was pregnant. Maybe I should have given him a chance. Maybe I shouldn't have lied to my family, but I did do all those things and I'm still having to raise this child by myself. I don't know. I just, I I can relate to the, it's so much easier to do nothing (laughs) than change things up. You know, at the very end when she's like washing dishes and talking to Crosby, I really loved their conversation. I thought that was like really nice after kind of some fighting the whole episode. It was like a real connecting moment. But I thought when she said, well, I should have told them a long time ago, I thought that was her way of saying I should have told you a long time ago. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but something about the way she said it and then the way Crosby nodded, I thought maybe there's like an understanding there. Well, in in their big fight, she did apologize, which I thought was good of her. And she let him invite his family. She said, invite whoever you want. You robbed me of five years of my son's life. What gave you the right to do that? You see, I'm decorating and I'm seeing pictures of him all Mm -hmm. over the place. And that's all I'm ever going to see of him at this age. That's right. Well, you should have called me back because I called you three times, four times, and you never called me back. What was I supposed to do? What? Uh, you know, leave me a... Leave a uh, message on your answer machine? Hey, Crosby, is Jasmine. I'm pregnant. Call me back. Yeah, anything would have been better than what you did. You know what? After the third call, I realized I didn't want you to call back. I had this big, serious thing to do. Have a baby and raise that baby. And what I didn't need was some flaky guy in the picture. Hey, it's my son. You don't get to just make those decisions. What do you mean I don't get to? That's my son, too. I gave birth to him. Okay, all of a sudden now you want to play daddy? What kind of father takes his son on a play date and leaves them with a stranger in the pool? It's not a stranger, it was a lifeguard. Yeah. This is his party, I'm his dad, my family is his family. I want his cousins and his aunts and his uncles here. They have a right to be here. Hey, I'm talking to you. Okay, um, you, you need to know that, um, my family isn't exactly inclined towards you. What does that mean? Well, my father abandoned us, and they think you you did just like the same thing. Yeah, I didn't know that I had a kid. How is that similar? They don't know that. Wait. They think that I knew about Jabbar, and then I just blew him off? It didn't seem to matter. 
I, I didn't think you'd ever be back in his life again. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just invite everyone. Have them all come. We'll manage. I have to admit, I like when you screw up, kind of. It makes me feel like we're a little bit more. <laughs> and then I thought he was gracious to end this discussion by teasing her a little bit. I thought that, like, diffused the tension. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, that's right, you're going to let me invite my family. You know. Right. That he's like, okay, okay. We had it out. I said what I wanted to say. I got what I wanted. We can just be done now. That's one of my favorite things about Crosby, I think, is he's not a mean-spirited person. I, I think sometimes he gets frustrated when he's not taken seriously, but I don't think that he wants to be right all the time. I think maybe he just doesn't want to be wrong all the time. <laughs> when the families are together, Camille, she, she meets Jasmine's brother, Seku, and she says, oh, you must be named after Seku Tarunga. So, of course, I looked it up. I only did like a simple Google search. So there may be information I did not find. I could not find a real person named Seku Turunga. The closest I found was Seku Ture, who was the first president of Guinea and was part of that country's independence movement from France. So either there's a different African independence leader also named Seku Turunga that I could find no record of on the internet, or they were making up someone or calling Sekou Touré by a different name. I didn't find any, I, I looked like, did he have other names? Did he go by other titles or couldn't find it? I thought that was a little strange, especially to make such a point of it that Renee was impressed. How do you know that? Which makes yeah. you think, really, how did she know that? If, Since it's not <laughs> real. Record. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I did think, though, that Camille was um, displaying Caleb's exact <laughs> view of Berkeley in that moment, because Caleb keeps saying stuff like, but everyone should be open. It's Berkeley. You know, and she was like, Berkeley in the 60s, babe. And I'm like, Caleb, I could just picture him being like, that's right. Well, and also, would you expect someone in Berkeley to um, <laughs> say that you're treating my son unfairly and it must be because he's white? Oof. <laughs> He's just such a bull in a china shop. Because yeah. I loved even before he said it, he stands up and says, "I'd like to say something," and you see like three or four family members like, uh, uh, "Oh, oh, oh, oh!" Julia has this throwaway line that I only caught because I watch it with subtitles. She's like, "Do you have any more of those corn muffins?" <laughs> like she just says that because she's trying to not get Zeke to say that line. And after so. he says it, I could you could even hear Max of all people going, "Grandpa, no one wants to hear what you have to say." <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Although, Renee also bugged me a little bit in that scene. Really? Because after Jasmine, well, first of all, I thought it was quite sweet of Crosby to not out Jasmine at the party. Like for a while, he's not saying, he's not jumping to his own defense. Yeah. Like, well, that's nice of you. But so then Jasmine comes clean, good for her. And Renee says in this very smug way, easier for who, you or Jabbar? Uh, if you were listening, she literally just said it was easier for me not to tell you. She didn't say it was just easier not to tell you. And then Renee could go easier for who? No, she said easier for me. It's like, Renee, you're just trying to score some points here. And you're not even listening to your daughter. Score points with who? She already no, owned up to it. Just score like, oh, smart mom points. Huh. 
See, I thought I'm going to call just... you on your crap, daughter. It's like, daughter already called herself on her crap. But give them a minute. I mean, this is a huge revelation and it completely changes everything they've ever thought about their, you know, her grandson's father. And I just felt like she was probably mad. And I thought that actually showed quite a lot of restraint just to say that line. And then that's it. They tabled it. And, you know, luckily Jabbar has very good timing at that point. They really to. tabled it. I felt like that scene ended very abruptly. Time for cake. Ha ha ha. We're all happy. And scene. <laughs> That's true. It just bothered me that it, I, I don't know. Maybe it bothers me mostly from a writing perspective. Like maybe Jasmine should have said it was easier not to tell you rather than for me. I could see a mom, you know, hammering something home though. You know, you, you get, you get the sense, I think just from this one episode. I, that's what it was. It Renee felt is. to me like the mom wanting to hammer something home. And yet her daughter had just taken the hammer out of her hands. Like, I'm going to admit to this before you can punish me for it. And then she still punished her for it. It's like, she already owned up to this fact that you're calling her out on. Now, I'm not saying she should have no right to be upset, but... Well, you know, a thought that I had, maybe it's just because we do meet Jasmine's extended family in this episode, but I just started looking up writers for the show, and eventually they get some black writers, but they haven't yet and I just I don't know especially in that scene where Jasmine sounds so angry with Crosby I think it just made me start to wonder do they have anyone in the writer's room who isn't white writing for for Joy Bryant and then I realized no they don't and um I don't know it may it just it it kind of bothered me because I'm like I wonder hopefully she had some say maybe in the role and and maybe they would ask her but I, I don't know. Sometimes I just wondered, like, to what extent is that important? I think it's pretty important. And it seems like maybe they acknowledged that and rectified it later. I just started to wonder, you know, is Crosby too much the shining hero of this story? You know, he he doesn't correct her at the party. He's so selfless. He's so wonderful in this moment. And here's the mean woman who... But maybe that's not fair because you're right. Jasmine does confess and Zeke does say something real stupid. And so may- maybe it's fair, but I don't know. It was just something I kind of wondered. I do think it matters. Yeah. If you're going to have black characters on your show and their interaction with a whole family of another race is going to be a storyline, people should be writing that who can accurately reflect it. Yeah. Um, speaking of her being the bad guy at the very end, when she does show him the video... Are we supposed to see happy tears that he's seeing this moment or are these sad tears that he missed that moment? Good question. I took it as happy tears in the moment, but now that you're asking, I feel like maybe it's both. I think I also thought it was happy at the time, but now I'm wondering. What did you think, Jay? Well, I just assumed this was supposed to be like her olive branch at the end. Like, let me let you in to what you missed. So I was assuming that for these characters, this was a happy moment but I wasn't sure because he also made allusions to I missed five years. I think it is an olive branch. And I think he maybe is happy to be seeing that moment, but how could it be anything other than bittersweet? You know, he, he still missed it. He, he missed it all. And maybe that's not the way to look at it. Maybe the way to look at it is, thank goodness, now he's in his life and he knows and they can build this relationship. And maybe it's even better than it would have been. Maybe Crosby wouldn't have risen to that challenge and he would have been a terrible father. 
and maybe it's better that it happened when it happened. And some people would say everything happens for a reason in real life and on TV. And, mm-hmm. and that was the reason. But I don't know. It would still be very hard. Although, you know, as you mentioned earlier, who knows where he would have been five years earlier. I do think that given what we know about Crosby, we can be pretty sure he wouldn't have just washed his hands of the whole thing. I don't think he he wouldn't have have not shown up to the birth. Yeah. So, yeah, watching the video would be bittersweet because it's like, I would have come. Yeah. I would have been there had I known. And, you know, she was like, what am I supposed to do? Leave a message that says I'm pregnant. And part of me was like, well, yes. You know, and if you do that and then he still blows you off, then you can raise your child on your own just like you did anyway. But with a totally clean conscience of, well, I tried and, you know, like it almost would have been cool if like she left a message and it got deleted. But that's very soap opera. You know, that's that's very. And one thing we haven't discussed yet, which was revealed in this episode, is that her father abandoned her family. And it's worth wondering how that would have shaped her perspective on the situation. She might have been carrying some real baggage around the issues of fathers or unreliable men in her life and just think, you know what? I don't even I don't want my baby to be left and abandoned. So maybe it's best that I just be the only one that's there for him right from the beginning. Spare him. It might have been a real protective instinct. I did wonder the birthing video moment is so sweet. And um, since we have someone who's given birth with us. (laughs) Jay, in a nutshell, what's it like meeting your child for the first time? Uh, Simple question. It's a big payoff. It's pretty great. But it's also a blur. (laughs) Well, I was about to say Jasmine's like watching herself in the video and current Jasmine is like crying these happy tears, probably because she's just remembering, oh, and that's the first time I held my son or met my son. How amazing. But I also thought, wow, she's like having all these crying tears about watching herself in extreme pain. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, I did not video either birth, and I'm so glad that I did not. <laughs> did not need to see my, myself in that moment. There was one other little moment at the end between Crosby and Jasmine. Yes, I noticed that. He's very cute. I think I'm falling in love. And it's cluttering my space. With Jabbar. Oh. It's okay. Good. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. You look like you saw a ghost. Good. I was worried for a second. Now, do you think that he was trying to drop a hint or was he, was there no agenda behind that? Huh. I, I always just assumed he meant Jabbar and then only realized after he said it, oh, I see how that could have come across. But now that you say it, I'm curious. I'm not sure. Maybe he was trying to drop a hint. I absolutely saw it as precursor to them actually getting together later in the series. But I will frequently say things that I think are true. And then depending on the reaction I get, decide whether or not I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah do you have an example um well usually mine are negative like usually mine is like saying something bad about someone else like oh yeah that person's a huge egomaniac and if the person doesn't laugh then i've just expressed my honest opinion and if they do laugh i'm like yeah sarcasm right isn't it funny (laughs) it's the way i it's the way i confess my true feelings about people (laughs) i'll keep that in mind going forward um (laughs) Yeah, you'll notice. Uh, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, um, it's funny. It makes me think of, I didn't even watch that 70s show that much, but I remember that one thing that really cracked me up in an episode. It was the first time Eric told Donna that he loved her. And so he tells her, he's like, I love you. And then it's like you hear his heartbeat and time slows down and she just doesn't have a reaction. And so he punches her on the arm and says, man. (laughs) And it made me laugh so hard. Like it was his way of like making it so he hadn't said it. And uh, yeah, now I'm wondering, did Crosby do kind of the same thing? But I don't know. Do I believe that he's in love with her at this point, you know, after what they've gone through? Maybe. I don't know. That must be a very intense thing to learn that you have a child with someone and and she yeah. looks like Joy Bryant, you know. Right. As I mentioned in uh, whenever whenever they had that putting the backpack on Jasmine moment while Jabara was asleep, like it's such a unique kind of intimacy. And I think whether he really is falling in love with her or not, I totally would buy that there'd be the way that like there's transference between a client and a therapist, like the client starts to feel loving feelings towards this person that listens to them and helps them and supports them. That if this child gets introduced to your life and you're flooded with all the new emotions that would come with that, you might naturally feel a flood of emotions towards the mother of that child, whether or not you're actually compatible people. And yeah, and looking like Joy Bryant certainly wouldn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point, though. Like, to me, part of me would wonder, even if he does fall in love with her, yeah, how much of that is because of Jabbar? And is that even okay? Maybe that's okay. I feel like we've had guests on here who have kids who have talked about how that makes you grow even closer to your spouse, you know, just seeing them in your kid. I don't know. Absolutely. Jay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It's a very bonding thing. And especially when you're sharing those milestones like birthday parties, that's something you're sharing together. Hey, that's our son. I've also always wondered, particularly when I see kids that look so much like one of the parents, you know, I've never been married, never had kids, but I would imagine once you do marry someone, you never got to know your spouse when they were children. And so having a child with them would be in a way, perhaps like a window into who your spouse was. I mean, like Jay, I think your son to look at baby pictures of your husband, Mm -hmm. they look a lot alike. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure you sometimes think like, oh, is this what Lucas looked like when he was a little three-year-old? Absolutely. You kind of get to like re-fall in love with your spouse. It's beautiful. Just Total a new way to connect. So, well, it's just something new to to bond over. Uh, uh, yeah. And vice versa, I feel like your daughter looks a lot like you, although she looks a lot like her dad, too. Yeah. But, <laughs> but that your husband might be like, oh, is this what Jay was like? And she Aww. was a gifted little five-year-old memorizing all the state capitals. <laughs> well, and you, haven't you said before that your daughter is so much like you were when, when you were her age? I mean, like inventing games and, yeah, you know. In a lot things. of ways. And and Lucas has commented, too, about seeing me and her. And so there's definitely that feeling of getting that window into your spouse. But she's also got traits of his that I absolutely see come out. <laughs> Well, I didn't necessarily arrive at some theme for the episode, but I did notice a like a trend among the storylines. And that was, it felt like there was a lot of correcting of the record or like mm. rewriting history. I thought revealing of truth. Yeah. yeah. Jasmine and Jabbar, Camille and the vomit story, Amber and Damien, 
Sarah and Camille, if my interpretation of that daughters hate their mothers. Oh no, let me correct you there. Um, Zeke and Adam, that's like a little bit of a stretch, but he's certainly revealing stuff that was not known, namely the second mortgage on the house. No, I don't think that's a stretch, actually. I think I think that counts. The one thing that really doesn't fit is the name of the episode, the rubber band ball. There's no, huh. uh, although I guess if you go with Jay's, you know, the revealing of the truth, there's some truth being revealed there. They also didn't tell Julia that Max had a rubber band ball, so they still conceal that truth, maybe just to make her, you know, Julia feel better. Um, and they even ask Max, you know, like they tell Max that he can't just take the rubber band ball from Sydney. He has to ask. <laughs> and she says no. And they're like, but she has to say yes. Um, so I don't know if that counts, but like he just kind of steals it, which is kind of a lie. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> that's that's a stretch. <laughs> it was funny though, just to see how literally he takes things and things you wouldn't think of. Like you would tell your kid, Yeah, you could have it, but you have to ask her. And she has to say yes. It's, it's not just the asking that makes it okay. Yeah, and I feel like they're really good about that attention to detail about how literal Max would be. And and I, I loved that they all laughed. Although part of me was like, are you going to give Sydney her rubber band ball back? I don't know. Really- I loved when Adam was like, she's such a little genius. She can make another one. <laughs> that felt real to me. Yeah. He doesn't mean yeah. any harm, but there would be a little like, oh, you're gifted. Good for you. Get out of here. <laughs> well, so Jay, what were your overall thoughts as a, a brand new parenthood viewer um i was glad at how much i could pick up on just from a a single episode and this with so many characters that um they really dropped enough information that i felt like i could pick up without any real context so it it made for an easy watch in that respect it moved very fast because they did cover a lot of ground in a little bit of time but since i was able to follow along then that wasn't a bad thing I thought it was very good and very real. There are a lot of moments where they could have said something cliche and they didn't. I thought it was very well put together. You know, it's nice to hear you say that because we've been watching this so closely. And when we watch the pilot, they are clearly going to great pains to introduce all the characters since there are so many. And in some ways, it seemed like they were maybe going to too far of lengths to introduce people. Like the first time we meet Sarah. Thanks, big brother. (laughs) It's like, no, I think we will gather what their relationship is. You don't have to lay it out so bluntly. I mean, yeah, just little context clues like um, Julia coming over. Oh, Adam isn't here. Oh, that's okay. I wanted to talk to you anyway. Like, oh, clearly you're not the first contact. You're the secondary one. So yeah, they don't have to be obvious. Well, in in the pilot, um, Zeke keeps calling Adam Sonny and... I was like, I don't think he ever does that again. But no, he does constantly. He does. He does it like. Well, six I times noticed in this, in this episode. episode when they're in the raw space, he called him Adam, son. <laughs> just he said about. I, I wondered if that was typical for that character, or if that was just part of the whole schmooze for this episode. You know, he offers to pay for the hotel room, and oh, what's your name, lady behind the counter? Oh, isn't that a beautiful name? Or so, I, I just wondered, is that typical for his character, or was this all showing the front that he's putting up? in this particular situation. 
You know, I'm so glad you said that because it makes me think that perhaps his whole character is a front because I think <laughs> both are true. I think he is always like that. But now I'm wondering how authentic that is, which is tricky. And and I think we all have different aspects to our personalities, right? Like, I don't think I'm being fake when I'm teaching, but I'm definitely more energetic and I'm definitely kind of putting on a bit of a performance, I guess. But I do think it's an authentic part of myself. But with Zeke, maybe both parts of him are authentic and he only really taps into that, you know, outgoing, charismatic side. And we, I think this was our first time really seeing him in that vulnerable position. So maybe it's not fair to say that's the true him and everything else is a lie. Mm-hmm. But I do think that he is aware of his audience maybe at all times. You know, I think he wants people to see him in a certain way and behaves accordingly. Um, yeah, I think you're totally right. Although I don't think it's the first time we've seen him drop it. The first thing that comes to mind is like him admitting to Sarah that he and Camille have been having some problems. You're totally right. And that yeah. feels like a real moment of like dropping the big personality act. But I think you I think you're probably right that he is naturally a big gregarious personality. And then I think he probably feeds into that when he gets attention for it. Yeah. And then it just becomes a self-perpetuating thing. Sometimes he reminds me a little bit of a kid. Like, he's weirdly proud of, like, his libido. We've seen that in this episode when he's talking to Adam in the car in what was, like, basically a Nissan commercial. Did you guys notice that? It just kept <laughs> lingering on the car. Anyway, but, you know, he was talking about what the Braverman men were. We're very good at this, you know, and a few episodes ago he says that to Drew. Like, we have a libido. And I'm like, what a weird thing for a 60-something-year-old man to keep saying. Like, wouldn't you chill out by then it sounds like something a teenager would brag about you know like well I'm real good at sex or you know whatever like it just felt strange and the way he seems to need constant validation constant laughs you know constant attention feels kind of childlike to me and don't get me wrong I love Zeke but it's just something I'm kind of noticing and it's something maybe I noticed because Adam is so exhausted by his father (laughs) and is so clearly the parent in that relationship even though he's actually the son yeah I didn't know if that was out of character or not because I noticed that too you know for this being a father-son bonding time he's clearly being irritating in the car critical of the driving and asking personal questions and I just thought is this just how he is or are we supposed to realize something is up Yeah, it was like turned up to 11, though, in the car. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) And the jump cuts also did that. They didn't just show off the car, but it did. It was very distracting to me. And I guess maybe that's the point. And, you know, I hadn't noticed that it was lingering on the car so much. It'd be fun to check the credits and see if Nissan was a sponsor, because I know I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but at least in later seasons, Apple always got a shout out in the credits as like a paid sponsor. And all the characters would just be like randomly be opening up their MacBooks. <laughs> and, and the camera would get a shot right on the Apple logo. And the same with Apple Bees on Friday oh, Night Lights. Yeah. They were a paid sponsor. And every time you turn around, well, let's go meet at the Apple Bees and talk about that. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I think Applebee's on Friday Night Lights is my favorite product placement ever because it felt perfect. That's I'm like, true. Yes, People in Texas, Texas would congregate at an Applebee's. It felt exactly right. It was the right class. You know, it was like, yeah. like a nice place to go out to eat if it's a pretty small town and, and football is what the whole town is obsessed with. And, and I don't mean that in any sort of bad way. I mean, it totally neutral, but it felt 
perfect somehow. Like just, it was a part of the setting. So sometimes product placement doesn't even bother me, but that car scene really did. And I think it would have been fine if they just showed the back of the car and then pulling off and you still could have seen it was a Nissan. And I think that would have been far less distracting, but I was just like, what? Stop. I, I don't know. And see, it's so funny. I didn't pick up on it at all. I missed it. And I could not have told you what the make of the car was. I used to a have a dollars. Nissan. So I wonder if that's why I noticed it too. It looked like my old uh-huh. car. So maybe, maybe it's more me than them. Any final thoughts on the episode? I miss Mr. Sear. Um, that's my final thought. <laughs> um, that is Amber's teacher that Sarah was apologizing about, you know, oh. like dating. <sighs> I guess they're done. It makes me really sad. They were involved. Yeah. And that's why when we pick up in this episode, things are so fraught. Uh, Amber had a crush on him and it, she, she was, yeah, it was a whole thing. And I just, I loved him. I miss him. This is a little bit of a tangent, but you know, like earlier I said the idea of missing out on a child's life until they're five strikes me harder having five-year-old nieces. These child actors are incredible, I think. Like Sydney so with good. the rubber band ball. And then Jabbar didn't have a lot to do in this episode, but he's had a lot to do in previous episodes. I think they were both about five. I would say like five or six. And thinking of like my nieces learning these lines and having to portray these things, that seems like a real huge achievement. Yeah, I can't imagine. Wouldn't that be Mostly I think, how do you get them to like concentrate for that long and be like, okay, now you have to do it now. Not like just whenever you Mm -hmm. say the line now. Okay, now you have to do it again because we need it from a different angle. Or, oh, you tripped over that word. You have to say it again. It would take the right personality. It'd be like herding cats, I would think. (laughs) Aren't they both still actors? I think so. I wonder, too, how much of that goes into, like, if you're that young, how many people are choosing to be actors and how many it's like their parents want them to be or someone thinks they'd be good at it so they give them a card i mean like i have no idea how that sort of thing would work how do you become an actor that young i really your parents your parents if i told my girl what we were doing oh you're gonna go do this today okay mom (laughs) and maybe she would like it and then i wouldn't feel bad but and then if they like it they keep doing it even when they're like 16 as i think they both are now imagine the parent of that kid in pet cemetery (laughs) okay look look mean like you're killing an old man That's so true. Okay, mom. He was two. I just, that's crap. How do you get anyone to do? Okay. Well, here's another little tangent. It makes me think of um, the actresses, plural, who played Lily on Modern Family and how they got replaced after a few years. And I think I read somewhere they just weren't into it. You know, they were cast as babies and then like they're growing up. And I think they were just like, not for me. I find that really fascinating or, you know. The Olsen twins. I was just about to say the Olsen twins. Yeah. Like. I've never blamed them for not wanting to be on like Fuller House. I'm like, they're over it. They've got a different career now. They they are very successful fashion designers and they don't maybe want to be defined by the role they had when they were too young to choose it. Yeah. Nobody asked them or if they did, they didn't know what they were agreeing to. You know, so Well certainly I think, th- I think they were on Full House when they were nine months old. Like yeah. you can't ask a nine month old, do you want to do this? Yeah. And you know, like we said, when you whatever you grow up experiencing, yeah. if you're told that it's normal then that's what you think it is. Yeah. But it is interesting. A show that has so many child, you know, actors on it. It's something I think about a lot. I do think they're all across the board, really excellent. And 
how lucky, but how also lucky that they all seem to like it. I think they're all still doing it. So that's good. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you, Jay, for joining us. Thank for you for having me. <laughs> it was Thank so you for great. coming. <laughs> <laughs> I had fun. It was fun. It was great. You should follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Parenthood Pals, and like Parenthood Pals on Facebook. And you can visit us at our website, parenthoodpals.com. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.